And if you watched carefully that video, you would have recognized the people. They were our own. In many of those shots, they were our own people over there. There are teams working. And I, I love that video. I see that video and it brings back specific memories to me. Uh, I think about a, a young man in Kenya who asked me to pray for him. As he was a new believer that day. And he wanted to go back to his village and share the gospel. And he wanted to pray that he would be strong to go back to that village. I think about a, a young college student in East Asia that I talked with. And they were adamant that Jesus was for America. He was not for Asia. And how I shared with them and, and tried to proclaim Jesus Christ that was for the whole world. And sitting in little apartments in East Asia as churches were starting among the students there. I think about the gentle souls in, in Belarus who are trying to worship the Lord in the midst of a government that is very restrictive. I think about the children in Mexico that our teams have gone and worked with and their eagerness to hear the word of God. I think about the faces of our members as they've come back from Mississippi and other places to share the love of Christ. I think about those who this past Wednesday were handing out meals in our church grounds for folks who needed food for Thanksgiving. And I just, when I see these things, there's a lot of heart emotions that go through my mind. But one of the things that come to mind is, I'm so glad of you guys. I'm proud of you guys for being engaged, for not sitting in the bleachers as the world dies, but being hands-on and being a part of what God wants to do around this world, around the corner, and all places in between. And one very specific way is the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. This money goes and supplies the resources for missionaries all over this world. It doesn't sit in some office somewhere, but it's, it's there for missionaries all over this world. I like to think about it as my Christmas gift to the Lord. Uh, there are many people will give money to and give gifts to this time of year. But I don't want my Christmas gift to the Lord to be overshadowed by any gift I give to some human being. As precious as they may be, I want to give a gift to the Lord that outshines all those. But, you know, you think about it, the money belongs to God anyway, so what's the point? <laughs> well, here's the point. It's not the dollar amount. The dollar amount is expressive of the heart. And so when we give, it's not dollars or giving heart. How much heart do we want to give to the Lord? And so that's the real measurement of what our dollars are, because it all belongs to him. The one thing that God has given us, unique to us, is our heart. What can you give him that he doesn't already have? It's your heart. And for many of us, we measure our heart in money. So it's a way to invest our treasures in heaven. And we're going to have our next Sunday as our in-gathering day. Well, all throughout the month of December, I want you to pray about it and see what the Lord would have you give. Uh, it's a wonderful way to worship our Lord this Christmas season. And so, with that being said, I'm going to ask that you turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 30, verse 25, as we continue the study in Genesis. 
As you're returning there, I want to share a story from Chuck Swindoll he recorded in his book. It involves a, a shipping, a fish shipping company in the northeastern part of the United States who are specializing in codfish, found that uh, it's very tasty food. And their struggle was figuring out how to ship codfish in a way that maintained the taste and flavor. They found that it, uh, by freezing it, that it lost the, the taste and flavor was diminished through the process of freezing. So they're trying to find some other way. And so they came upon the idea of, of shipping them live in saltwater tanks. But in the process of being shipped in these saltwater tanks in this period of time where the codfish just was sedentary and a lethargic lifestyle, that even in that diminished lifestyle, that the fish lost its taste and flavor. And so it didn't solve the problem. So one creative person came up with a solution. So let's keep shipping them live in salt water, but let's not just ship codfish. Let's also ship within the same tank their natural enemies, catfish. And so we're going to have the catfish and the codfish together. And all along the way, as they're being shipped, these catfish are, sh- are, are chasing the codfish around and around their aquariums until they finally get to the destination. And there they prepare the codfish. And lo and behold, the taste is still there. And the process of being chased by these catfish, it kept their body systems going so that they maintained their taste and flavor. You'll find that It could very well be that God has designed your life so that there are catfish in your life. It seems there are those people that you just cannot get along with, you cannot communicate with, and you wonder what is the point of their existence in your life. And you'll say, well, let me get out of this situation. Let me get out of this work environment. Let me get out of this neighborhood. And and lo and behold, you go somewhere else and wouldn't you know it, there's another catfish waiting for you. Another person that has that same type of role in your life. What I want to present to you is that God is doing a work through that catfish. Through that person you just don't get along with. And it's shaping your character. It's changing who you are. And that's what God is doing. You're going to find that in the story, Laban is the catfish to Jacob. And God is using Laban to change his character, to change his person. And, I, and as you think about this, you, you know, you may have this person in your mind. And you may not have anybody in your mind. You know, I don't have a catfish. That may be because you're the catfish. All right? I don't know. <laughs> Could be. But nonetheless, that's how life is. And so in this fight that we have between Jacob and Laban, I'm not going to present to you any steps on how to have a good fight. I'm not going to present to you any steps on how to resolve a fight. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is there is a fight between Jacob and Laban. You remember, when we look at the Old Testament characters, they're not given to us to instruct us in morality. The Old Testament characters are given us to mirror reality. That's their point. If you want to have a good model for morality, you want to learn how to fight with somebody, don't go to Jacob, go to Jesus. That's his point. He's there to teach you how to live life, how to how to have morality, uh, and how to live the life that God's given for us, but here we find reality. So you're going to look at the story of Jacob. Don't look at his his life and Laban and think, okay, I'm going to do those things. <laughs> Chances are you already are doing them. 
And you're going to say, I can I connect with that. I understand Jacob. I understand Laban. I've been there. In fact, I am there now. The main point of the book of Genesis, as well as the Old Testament, the main character is God. And how God is redeeming mankind to himself. Genesis 3 tells us the problem. And from that point on, it talks about how God provides the solution. In the Gospels, it is the solution. And Acts, and, and all the way uh, up to Revelation, is the implications of the solution. And in Revelation is the full realization of that solution. God's redemption for mankind. And so, as we read this story, we're going to look at these events. We're going to look at this fight between Jacob and Laban. We're going to look at the ingredients of the fight. But understand, as we do so, that underneath, all it is, is the story of God working. And at the end, we're going to reveal how God is working and involved in all this. So let's turn to verse 25 as we're going to go all the way through chapter 31, verse 16. Uh, because of the, the length of this passage, uh, what we're going to do, I'm going to ask that you just read the Bible along with me as I explain this passage to you. We're not going to have a, a one uh, public reading, corporate reading at this time. Um, up to this point. We've already seen the root of this fight already there. Jacob is a wounded soul. Jacob was desiring the blessings of his father. He had the blessings of his mother. But Esau, his brother, was the the beloved son. He just so happened that he hunted game and prepared game in just the way that his dad liked him. And so dad liked Esau. And Jacob had to deal with that. In fact, the Bible says that he tricked out his own father Isaac to get the blessing But to be fair, Isaac and Esau were trying to work behind Jacob's back to to get the blessing to Esau. And so Jacob gets sent away with the murmurings of his brother wanting to kill him. He doesn't get the material blessings of his father. He gets sent away to find a wife uh, from the homelands, but he gets no material blessings as often is the case to find and obtain a wife. And so he gets sent 500 miles going up northeast away from the southern part of Israel, and there he comes across Laban, his uncle, and finds a beautiful wife, a beautiful daughter, Rachel, falls in love, head over hills, and thinks, maybe if I can get Rachel... I can have the satisfaction in my heart that I'm longing for. All the while, though, in that process, God exposed to him the solution. It's found in relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember the dream, stairway up to heaven? God says, it's found in my relationship with uh, with me. There is a stairway. There's access between Jacob and God where you can find this blessing. But Jacob kind of takes that vision and puts it on a shelf somewhere. He says, okay, that may come in handy later on. If God brings me back and all these things happen, then he'll be my God. And so he goes on and he keeps striving to find that blessing, thinking maybe Rachel will be the one. And he strives seven years for Rachel and uh, the night of the wedding and looks for Rachel. And, whoa, it's Leah, the uglier sister. And so he's set back about this. And he's saying, Laban, what's, why have you done this to me? I mean, that you may have been wronged in your life. Someone may have done some evil stuff towards you. But we would be hard-pressed to find Something that rivals what Laban's doing to Jacob. I mean, traded out your, your wife on the, on the wedding day. And so, you want Rachel? We'll work seven more years. And so he does. Works seven more years, gets Rachel. He starts having children. And now we find that this, this strive, this drive for blessing is now gone to Leah, who desires nothing but to be loved by Jacob. Never finds it until he realizes, you know, it's not about Jacob. It's about praising God and names her son Judah. 
but you got this stress going on. And then you got Rachel, who's loved by Jacob, but wants nothing more than have a baby. And thinks, if I could just have a baby, then everything's going to be okay. And it doesn't work out. And so we've got the roots all ready for a fight. Laban's all about money. Jacob's all about blessings. And, he's, and it's just, it's miserable. I, I have a hard time reading the story. It's just like a bad story that keeps on going. Yeah, you know, it's ugly. And so now we've got the ingredients for it all. And so, verse 25 came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph. Remember, that's beloved wife, finally has a son. Evidently some closure with this. Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served you and let me go for you know my service which I've done for you. First ingredient I want to bring out in this is family. (laughs) Who's this fight with? It's with family. Father-in-law. Son-in-law, and not only is it his father-in-law, it's his uncle, all right? His uncle, father-in-law, son-in-law, the wives, it's with family that's going on. This may be, I thought about doing it, you know, this is the first Sunday of the Advent season. I thought about, well, maybe it's good to do a Christmas season, but seeing how we just finished our family gatherings with Thanksgiving, maybe this is really appropriate to talk about the food, the fight that we have with our family. And so this is what happens. What I want to bring out in this is that there is no sphere that we're in that is exempt from fighting. It is there no matter how close you are. In fact, chances are the closer you get with people, the more fights you'll have. Because you'll know that person more and more. You have to depend and, inter- and be interdependent on them. Interact with them more and more. And you see their selfishness. They see your selfishness. And it comes out. And so if you do not have a working faith in your family, you don't have a working faith. You've got a facade. Because in the family, it's right there all out. And so here it is. Sometimes uh, we think this about church as well. Uh, the spiritual family. We think, you know, if I go to church, then there won't be fights there. I mean, if all the places, there shouldn't be fights at the church. Because we have people there don't sin. <laughs> where do we get our expectations like that? I, what, where did that ever come out? I just want you to know, people here sin. Green Pines have selfish people here. And you think, well, how do you know, Pastor? Because I'm selfish. <laughs> that I was going to name your name. <laughs> No, I'm selfish. And we all are that way. And that's how it is. And so consequently, when we get in a church or we get anywhere else, there will be fights. There will be arguments. And what I want you to understand is you cannot go anywhere and think that this is a sin-free zone. Or this is a fight-free zone. Rest your heart at ease. You will have arguments. No matter what group you're with, prepare for it and set your heart on the Lord. It will help you deal with those arguments and fights. So it's with the family. But also, uh, a second ingredient that's brought out in this passage, in this feud or this fight, there's not just family, there's history. There's history. You notice what he says. Uh, He he looks back. uh, He says, uh, says, give me my wives, my children from whom I've served, and let me go, for you know my service, which I've done for you. In other words, look back, Laban. You consider the history that I have. Uh, I've been a good, faithful worker. The Lord's blessed you through me. 
Um, and so he's looking back, but undoubtedly, even though this wasn't Jacob's point, when he asked him to look back in the history, one of the things that's going to come up in both of their minds is the whole reason why he's been working there 14 years, and that's the fact that Laban has tricked him and deceived him. There is an ongoing issue that's just been kind of there under the surface, simmering, waiting for the right time. And that's often how it is in our fights. There's always history. And, and every single one of us is like, well, you just don't know the background. Well, I'm sure there's a history, and that's how all these fights happen. There's usually a history. So too with Jacob and Laban. And so Laban said to him, please stay if I found favor in your eyes. So he, he's saying, I want you to stay, even though I, I, there's nothing else. I, I don't have another daughter you're working for. Please stay, for I've learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Isn't that interesting? Laban, as far as we know, is money-centered. Nothing of faith in this man's life and trusting the Lord, but he knows that he has been blessed because a man of faith has been there, Jacob. Let me ask you this question. Can anybody in your workplace say to you, I know that this workplace has been blessed because of you. Can anybody in your family say that about you? Can anybody in your neighborhood say that about you? I think that should be one of the symptoms of someone who has the hand of God in their life. That they live in such a way that God blesses them. God blesses the place. In fact, the Bible says, and and later on in 1 Corinthians, that if there's a believer with the unbeliever who are married, they should not divorce for the sake of, uh, for the point of of the unbeliever receiving the benefits of being allied uh, with an alliance with the believer. That they receive blessings because of this alliance with them. I think it's a wonderful question. And I want to ask us as a church, does Nightdale, can Nightdale say to Green Pines, please stay. Because we have been blessed by your presence here. I just want to bring that out as a challenge to us as a church. And, and then he says, name your wages and I will give it. Name your wages and I will give it. And so he, he says, okay, I want to do, do whatever it takes. Jacob said to him, all right, you know how I've served you, how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little and has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. In other words, I agree with you. God has blessed you and it's been because of my presence here. Now, when shall I also provide for my own house? In other words, you know what? It's time for me to go on and create my own family and provide for them. Laban said, ignores that. He says, well, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything if you will do this thing for me. I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today. Remove from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. All right? Just so you know, the animals that he lists are a little bit rare. Uh, most of them are the opposite hue. Right? Most sheep are white and, and not the darker, those speckled. And most goats are, uh, du- are dark uh, as opposed to the spotted and speckled. And so he's saying, let me get the, the minority, the ones that are not as favorable. Let me just get those and, and they, that will be my wage. And that way you can't contest it. Uh, you, everyone is aware that I'm not stealing your animals. These, this is the agreement that he wants to do. And so verse 33, so my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages come before you. He knows that Laban is going to bring it up as a question. You're going to question this one day, Laban. 
And when it does, when you question this, you'll know because we've agreed on in a very obvious manner what belongs to me, what belongs to you. And so we'll find that money is a factor in this. Verse 34, Laban said, oh, that it were according to your word. Okay, Laban says, sounds fine with me. Those are the ugly ones. Uh, fine, I don't have many of those. Sounds like a good deal. Let's, let's run with it. Laban is fueled by money. He's, he's run by finances. He's run by greed. And that's a third ingredient in this fight. Greed. And then, well, that's, you know, no big deal. Well, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that the love of money is the root of all evil. Greed, our desire for more finances, for money, for, money, for more influence that comes with that, is a symptom or an expression of the love of ourself. And you think, well, you know, that's, that's not me. I, you know, yeah, Jacob's got this issue. Laban's got this problem. That's not me. That's, you know, we just don't deal with that today. Well, I just want to bring to your attention, I'm glad every single one of you survived Black Friday. All right? You know, if you've watched the news, you've heard what's, what's happened uh, in New York. Uh, Walmart shoppers. A 34-year-old man was trampled to death at Walmart. And so I read an account of this. Police say that about 2,000 people were gathered outside the Walmart doors before its 5 a.m. opening at a mall about 20 miles east of Manhattan. The impatient crowd knocked the employee to the ground as he opened the doors, leaving a metal portion of the frame crumpled like an accordion. The detective, Fleming, said this crowd was out of control. He described the scene as utter chaos and said the store didn't have enough security. Dozens of store employees trying to fight their way out to help this individual were getting trampled by the crowd. Shoppers stepped over the man on the ground and streamed into the shore, or into the store. The man was taken to the hospital where he was pronounced dead around 6 a.m. A 28-year-old pregnant woman was taken to the hospital where she and the baby were reported to be okay. Kimberly Cribs, a witness, uh, said that shoppers were acting like savages. When they were saying they had to leave, that an employee got killed, people were yelling, I've been on the line since yesterday morning. And they kept shopping. Despite all of our precautions, this unfortunate event occurred. A woman reported being trampled by an over-year customers at a Walmart opening Friday in Farmingdale, about 15 miles east of Valley Stream in, in Suffolk County, with minor energy, minor injuries. We think, well, you know, that's just, that's up in New York, you know. <laughs> Things like that happen. Or, well, you know, that's Walmart. I don't go to Walmart. You know, and we have all our thoughts of why that couldn't be me. It's another state. A place I don't go. I'm not up there at 5 a.m. And they just, you know, we we have our minds that they're a little off anyway to be there at 5 a.m. And we we just kind of do this rationalization of how it couldn't be me. But I just want to assure you, the only thing that separated you from being a part of that was opportunity. Opportunity. We could have easily been a part. Of that crowd of 2,000. That's been camping out since yesterday morning. For that TV flat 
flat panel TV that's on sale for $500 or the $8 jeans or whatever it may be. And we're thinking, I want it, I want it, I want it. With total absence of others. Do you think that's a foreign thought to you? I assure you, it's just bubbling on the surface waiting to come up. And you were born with it. I was born with it. And that's why fights often happen, is we've got a self-motivation, a self-focus in our heart and desire. And greed is one of the ways that come out of it, uh, expresses it. And so, too, we see it with Laban as well with Jacob. Not only do you see greed, but you also see in this feud, this fight, deceit. Deceit. Notice what happens. Verse 34, Laban says, that sounds great, Jacob. We'll do that. Verse 35, so he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, and everyone that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them into the hand of his sons. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. What did he do? Oh, you want all the spotted ones and speckled ones? That day he got rid of them, made sure that Jacob couldn't get them three days away. Do you imagine Jacob feeding the sheep and the goats thinking, man, I know there was some speckles somewhere, somewhere, you know, looking, and they're not there. And it dawns on them. What happened? Laban, he did it again. And what would you do? Well, imagine, this is the same father-in-law, mind you, uncle, that has switched out your love on the wedding night. Made you work seven years which was several times, father-in-law, mind you, uncle, that has switched out your love on the wedding night. Made you work seven years. Where you can actually get some money for your own family. He takes it right from underneath you. How would you respond? How many more times does someone have to bend? Once you get a deal going where you can actually get some money for your own family, he takes it right from underneath you. How would you respond? How many more times does someone have to do this to you before you say, that's it, I'm out of here? Well, let's see how Jacob does. He starts his brain working. He's got a little bit of Laban in him. He's got that conniving aspect uh, to his personality. And so he's saying, all right, let's, let's see how this works out. And so we find in verse 37, he comes, uh, he leans on his husbandary knowledge, his, his ability to work with animals, uh, all of history, history and takes kind of the, the, the popular concept of the time and says, all right, I'm going to make sure that we get some speckled animals here. And so he uses it. It sounds very fascinating. This, this green poplar tree, almond and chestnut trees, and takes their branches and, and peels them so the white is showing underneath them and places them in the watering troughs. All right. And then he, he takes uh, these, uh, not only does he do that, he separates the ones that are speckled uh, and, and has them looking at the other ones who are white, who are getting ready to conceive, and has uh, them looking at each other. What's the, it's all based on a visual uh, stimuli. What he's going on is saying, what, you know, at the point of heat, when, the, when it's time for conception, whatever they look at, seeing these striped uh, branches, seeing the speckled animals, will help them produce speckled animals and striped animals and, and it's all based on this concept uh that may have been popular at that time uh, so let's just kind of read and see what happens with this is, does that really work and, and one thing i want you to know is that the word white is the word laban 
So it's kind of a play on words in all this. this is, when you put this white branch in here, there's Laban in here, and they see this Laban here. And, and so he's kind of making a play on words. And then we find in verse 41, he does a little crossbreeding with those that are stronger. Uh, he makes his stronger animals, makes sure that they're mating, and, and sets aside the feeble animals. Uh, but nonetheless, you find, verse 43, that the end result of all this is that the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. All right. <laughs> Explain that, Pastor. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just going to say that I think it worked, but it's not because of the branch. It's not because of the stripe, and it wasn't because of what they saw. It wasn't because of what Jacob was thinking. It worked, though. But if you try this, and you want to have a speckled child, <laughs> I don't think it's going to work by having speckled striped branches while you're drinking, all right? It's not going to work. There's something else behind this, and that's something I, I want to go to. and something that Jacob needs to see. The question comes, well, if Jacob had had these speckled ones separated from Laban, where do these speckled ones come from? Well, genetics will tell you that even though you may have two white sheep, they can still produce a speckled sheep. I understand it because it, for a while it baffled me how I could have three children that don't look like me. I, you know, they got blue eyes. And light hair and fair skin. I'm thinking, you know, okay, maybe one of them. But all three of them, how does that happen, you know? And I had a high school biology teacher talk to me about that because I asked her. It's like, what? you know, you know about this stuff. And they said, well, you know, the eye color comes to the guy. And so evidently you have a blue recessive gene within you. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, uh, evidently that can happen. And it also explains why our children don't often look like us sometimes. And they look like some grandchild, grandparent or great-grandparent. Way back there was these recessive genes. And evidently that's kind of what's occurred to produce some of these speckled animals. And so let's kind of get into this. So we get to the next chapter. And we find that this feud, this fight is starting to escalate. Up to this point it's been simmering. But it's starting to come to the surface. Verse 31, or chapter 31, verse 1. Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from that was our father's. He's acquired all this wealth. The, the size of the flock is, is growing in Jacob's and diminishing in Laban's. And Laban's sons are looking around thinking, you know what? This is our inheritance. And it's not as much as it used to be. And it's all because of Jacob. And Laban is getting angry, and, and Jacob senses these things. And not only does he sense these things, he gets a word from the Lord. Verse 3, the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. You've got unfavorable circumstances, then you've got a clear word of the Lord, you need to leave this place, and there's one more important group that he checks with to make sure that this is right time for him to move, and that's his wives. Uh, we, we see this uh, in verse 4. Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field, to his flock. Evidently, he wanted a secretive place and said to them, I see your father's countenance that is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. This is the first time that's recorded where, God, where Jacob's talking about God in front of his wives. He starts making a public profession here. He goes on and elaborates on this a little bit more. We see this in verse 6. You know that with all my might I've served your father. Your father's deceived me, changed my wages ten times. But God didn't allow him to hurt me. You notice that it got worse, how Jacob mistreated or was mistreated by Laban. So it gets worse. Ten times. And he said this, the speckled shall be your wages. And all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said this, 
the street shall be your wages, and then all the flocks poor streaks. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't blame it on all that work he did in peeling the sticks. He doesn't blame it on the fact that he separated the animals. He says, God did this. God gave me Laban's flock. Well, Jacob, what makes you say that? Well, verse 10. And it happened at that time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob. And I said, here I am. And he said, lift to your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked and speckled and gray spotted. For I've seen all that Laban is doing to you. In other words, God was counting on a more sure method. The ones that will actually be in heat will be the ones speckled. The ones that will be ready to produce will be the ones speckled. And then God says, explains that. He says, I am the God of Bethel. When you, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Remember the vow that he would surrender to Jehovah as his God? And that he would build an altar and that he would tithe of all that he had? Now rise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. You know what Jacob learned? <laughs> the reason why he was blessed was not because of all his methods of trying to get even and equalize and leverage with Laban. It happened because God appointed it to happen. And it was revealed to him in a dream. You think, well, that's, that's kind of strange. God, you I mean, it was God's plan for Laban's flock to come to Jacob? Yes. Well, that's a bummer for Laban. <laughs> I mean, what if you were Laban? God, why are you against me? What have I done? Well, let's look. What has Laban done? You remember... Go back with me to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. God gave a promise there to the line. He says, all of the descendants of Abraham, uh, the ones that I bless, of Isaac and then later Jacob, he gave them this verse in verse 3. He says, those who bless you will be blessed by me. And those who curse you will be cursed by me. And in you will all the worlds be blessed. That was a promise of God that bore on Jacob's life. And when Laban took the speckled animals that belonged to Jacob and removed them, he belittled and diminished Jacob, which is what cursing means, to the belittle. He belittled Jacob. And when he did that, he put himself square in the crosshairs of God's cursing. And so... If Laban was to ask God, God, why did you take my flock away and give it to Jacob? It would be simply because, well, Laban, you've taken my blessed one and belittled him and diminished him and stole from him what belonged to him. Therefore, God did it to you. Blessing barrier, big time. To diminish the ones whom God blessed. Well, the next question comes to my mind. Okay, that explains Laban. What about Jacob? (laughs) What has Jacob done to warrant such blessing? Has he lived such an outstanding life? Has he been a man of faith throughout all of this? Maybe has he satisfied his desires with the, with the presence of the Lord? Is he, is he praying to God and, and, and having that vision of, of the stairway to heaven being a reoccurring thing in his life of, of taking advantage of that? Has he forsaken uh, his, his, his second wife uh, to, to honor the Lord in this way? What has he done 
to warrant the blessings of God? And my answer to you is simply not one thing so much. It lets me know that I can't look at Jacob's life and say, that's why God blessed him. And that's the point. It was an act of grace. Let me just share with you. The final ingredient of this fight. Well, you've got the family and the history. You've got the seat. You've got greed. But you also have the hand of God. So much. It lets me know that in the midst of this ugly scene between two ugly spirits working and battling with one another, God still works. You know, that encourages us so much. It lets me know that no matter how ugly things get in my own life and ugly things get with others, God can still work. My spirit's not so ugly that God says, you know what, I can't deal with that. How does that work? I thought God was a righteous God and a holy God and he can't stand to look at sin. That's true. That's absolutely true. How does he do that? Oh, well, let me explain how he does that. Remember Genesis 12, 3, when I talked about that? That there would be one that come from this line that would be a blessing to all the world. There was one who came, a son. If you looked at the book of Matthew, the very first part of Matthew chapter 1, it said, in referring to Jesus, that this is the son of Abraham, the son of Isaac, the son of Jacob, the son of David. The one who would come. <laughs> and Jesus, kind of like Jacob, he said, the speckled, the striped, the ones that people don't want, the sinners, the drugs, the prostitutes, the drunkards, the tax collectors, as he referred to them, that's who I've come for. I want them. <laughs> and if you would realize that, that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty of your self-centered life, of my self-centered life. And he satisfied God's holy wrath for our self-centeredness in a God-created world. It was totally satisfied in the death of Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Because three days later, he rose again from the tomb. To show that his sacrifice was effective for my sin. That's Jesus. And here's what you've got to do. You've got a choice. You can be like Laban. You can say, okay, that's Jesus. He's the blessed one. I don't want to give him my heart. I don't want to give him my life. I want to do my own thing. There's things I want to do in my life that if I surrender to Jesus Christ, if I acknowledge him, I, I fear that I won't be able to do those things. Let me tell you what you just did. Your soul rightfully belongs to Jesus Christ by virtue of creation, by virtue of purchase, buying it with his shed blood, and by virtue of conquest and that he is the most powerful one. But you have refused him, the speckled goat of your heart. You've diminished him. And therefore, you have placed yourself square in the crosshairs of God's cursing. God doesn't want that for you. But when you choose to reject Jesus Christ, you've cursed him. 
And the natural consequence is to face the cursings of God. To be separated from God forever. Because he cannot stand to look upon our sin. What's the other option? (laughs) What's the other option? Well, the other option is blessing. To say, okay, God, I see what Jesus has done. You know what? My life is just a speckled goat anyway. And I realize it's not working for me. I need something more. I've got the change in my heart. God, if you want this goat of my soul, if you want this self-centered person, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. And you know what you just did? You blessed him. You blessed Jesus. You think, how can you bless God? How can you bless Jesus? He doesn't know my soul. He does know your soul. And if all you've got is discouragement, if you've got addiction to sin, if that's all you've got, then give it to him. Because it's the one thing you can give him. It's the one thing that you can give him. And in so doing, you enhance God. You blessed him. And when you bless God and you bless Jesus, God will bless you. Does that mean you're going to be rolling in the dough? Camels everywhere, you know? No. Jacob still had a very hard life to go. Many more things to learn. We're going to talk about the financial blessings because that's not necessarily blessings. It can be a curse to you. But we're talking about a spiritual blessing. Fact is that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That when you make Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God declares you a holy temple and the very Spirit of God dwells within you. (laughs) You've got the promise of eternal life that nothing on this earth or world can take away from you. (laughs) Friends, the choice is yours. Which one will you choose? Blessings or cursings? You want to have a real blessing barrier? Just diminish Jesus in your life. Laban diminished Jacob. And he found it to be true. How much more when we diminish Jesus will it be true in our heart and life? Let's pray. Father, I can relate with a lot of this stuff. I know what it's like to have problems with family. I know what it's like to be dealing with the history. Lord, I know what it's like to deal with greed. I know what it's like to lie and to be lied to. But, oh God, I don't know if everyone here knows what it's like to be in your hand. As ugly as this scene is in the Bible, it's such encouragement to see how you worked. A marvelous beautiful way no jacob didn't deserve your blessings but neither do i and i thank you for jesus i thank you for the lamb i thank you that the darling of heaven and this world was crucified because you're a just god you can't just blink at sin and someone had to pay you didn't want me to pay So you had Jesus pay it for me. I thank you, Lord. And Lord, may I this day not diminish you by exalting the goats of this world, 
exalting the money of this world and myself above you this day. May I not curse you by your strength, by your grace. You've made much of me so that I can make much of you. I thank you, Lord. I pray this in your precious name.